Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you're listening. This is Dan Turchin, host of AI and the Future of Work, CEO of Insight Finder, the system of intelligence for IT operations, and executive chairman of PeopleRain, the AI platform for IT and HR employee service. I think you're going to enjoy today's discussion. We scratched the surface of how data is used to make autonomous decisions with Bar Moses from Monte Carlo Data and Haishin Wang from Instacart. Well, today we'll focus on a different kind of data and a different set of ethical dilemmas that it's creating. Evangelos Samoudis is the managing director of Synapse Partners. He's a deep thinker, investor, advisor, and futurist who has been at the forefront of some of the most impactful trends in Silicon Valley over, say, the last 25 years. Evangelos is also the author of two popular books about autonomous vehicles and urban mobility, and he's written extensively about trends in AI and big data. Today, we get a rare glimpse into the mind of someone who isn't just writing about the future of work, but also investing in it. I encourage you to read Transportation Transformation and the big data opportunity in our driverless future if you haven't already. And without further ado, Evangelos, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you share a little bit about your background? Dan, first of all, thank you very much for the opportunity. It's been a great pleasure to uh, know you for uh, for a while now, and uh, it's a great opportunity for me to uh, to have this conversation with you. I really appreciate it. Um, I um, I came to the U.S. about forty years ago uh, to study. Uh, so my studies involve uh, uh, electrical engineering as my undergraduate uh, at Caltech and uh, a PhD in computer science and in particular in uh, AI and uh, machine learning uh, from, uh, from Brandeis. Um, I worked uh, as, a, as a technologist uh, back in the, in the 80s uh, during the previous AI spring. Uh, for several years and, um, and came to Silicon Valley in 1990. Uh, between uh, 90 and 2000, uh, I did two startups and in between the startups, um, I was uh, an executive at IBM running their uh, analytics uh, division uh, globally. Uh, and uh, in, the startups were also in, in the area of um, predictive analytics in different domains. After selling the second startup, I moved to the venture side, um, initially in private equity and later in venture capital. And um, uh, five years ago with one of my partners who started from my previous firm, we started uh, Synapse Partners, as you mentioned. And I would say this 20 year uh, journey that I've had in, in investing, in investing uh, it has also been around uh, applications of, of data and uh, AI, specifically uh, machine learning. Uh, we, that's what led me to um, online advertising and online marketing many, many years ago, and more recently in um, autonomous uh, mobility. So take us on a little, uh, little history tour. So since you started writing the first book on autonomous driving. Where have we come? And when you started writing the first book, where did you think we'd be here in 2021? 
So um, I, um, ever since I started uh, both researching and started speaking about the, the upcoming book at that time and, and later on after the, the book, the first book was published, I, I thought we were, um, uh, we were expecting the adoption, uh, well, first of all, the, the incorporation of this technology and its adoption uh, to be uh, much faster than I thought it would be. Um, so I was I was much more hesitant uh, to the um, to the prognostications and the predictions that uh, several pundits were making, particularly on the kind of marketing side and, and the various types of press. Um, so if I were to um, now with that in mind, um, I would say that we're doing quite well uh, in uh, the areas of. Um, goods delivery, specifically the uh, last mile and middle mile is called uh, delivery. Um, we are in uh, way advanced uh, uh, pilots and, and generating companies are generating revenue. I also think that we're doing quite well in the area of um, low speed autonomy for passenger transportation. So this is uh, using autonomous vehicles that um, uh, that travel in up to 25 miles per hour. Um, I think the uh, the area which has received the most attention, the, the use case that has received most attention, that of robo-taxis, is where we have not met expectations. And as I was saying before, in my mind, this is not unexpected. I, I very much expected that we would be where we are today. Uh, but it's unfortunate that um, we uh, we build up this expectation that by now we will have uh, autonomous robot taxis kind of like roaming around many cities around the world. Um, I will also uh, I will also say that we're starting to do quite well with uh, autonomous vehicles for specialized applications, whether it is uh, applications for um, agriculture or for uh, various other controlled environments, uh, mines, for example. Uh, but um, the, the completely open-ended use case, which uh, uh, robo-taxis represent, I think we still need uh, quite a bit of work uh, before we can be 100% uh, there. It's hard to ignore the ethical implications of autonomous driving. What uh, what advice do you have for, let's say, the developers of the algorithms that are deciding what autonomous vehicles should do? And I'll give you kind of the the canonical example. You know, who gets to decide if the autonomous vehicle swerves to, let's say, hit an elderly pedestrian to avoid a school bus of children? You know, this is a it's a hard question uh, the way you pose it, but I'll like parse it in a couple of different uh, ways. Um, first of all, I think when we build autonomous systems, and it doesn't matter whether they are uh, for goods delivery, for terrestrial goods delivery, for uh, aerial uh, delivery of goods or passengers, um, I, I think it is important. To, to look at them as systems. And systems means from the ground up, from the, uh, the, the low level uh, 
sensors and actuators all the way all the way up to the final to the to the applications that run on top of them and and I think one of the mistakes that I often see corporations do both corporations and startups I mean as you said in your introduction my firm advises several large corporations um, in in a variety of industries including uh, automotive and transportation on the use of data and AI and particularly autonomous and next generation mobility systems. Um, we find that they're, they're focusing on the, what can be thought of as the application layer. So the planning, uh, the localization, and they tend to ignore the lower level, which is the, uh, the operating system of the vehicle. And I think that's, um, based on certain examples that we had from, from our recent uh, work, uh, we're coming to see that uh, several of the companies that um, have been working on autonomous vehicles have, have been hitting the wall or have been hitting various significant obstacles because of this, because they're not looking at the entire system. Um, and they, uh, you know, the, the entire system that needs to be put together uh, in one, in, in one, uh, with one design in mind, with one thread in mind. Now, when we go to the second part of your question um, about the decisions, um, this is actually a very big and important problem, uh, which. Uh, it's not only involving software engineers and hardware engineers, but it involves ethicists. And in fact, it is so prominent that it has, uh, it has its own name. It's called a trolley problem. So if, you, if your listeners were to um, look up uh, trolley problem and autonomous vehicles, they will, they will see uh, both um, an extensive literature of, of technical and, and um, uh, scientific papers, as well as more um, popular papers that, that describe the problem. So um, we, uh, it, um, and, I, and I think both of both aspects, both answers to to your questions, in my mind, speak to the fact that there needs to be a, a broad collaboration between the various um, groups, the various uh, areas of expertise that need to come together in order for us to have a safe and, and richly functional autonomous systems, regardless of the, of the use case that we apply to them. Um, for, for a few of our uh, corporate uh, customers, we have developed a, a very extensive map of, um, of use cases. And um, it's, um, first of all, it, it always surprised them at, at how large that, that map of use cases is. But more importantly, again, if you, even if you were to, to peel each use case and look at it in detail, you realize that it's not a, a single competency that uh, has to work well in order for the use case to be successful, but but different areas of expertise, as I said, need to come together. And one of them is the ethics part, um, because whether it is um, in, uh, in passenger uh, mobility or, or goods delivery, um, or as I said, whether it's on the ground or whether it is aerial, uh, 
there are ethical problems that will need to be uh, that will need to be considered by by this uh, by these systems. Now, one of the biggest concerns that I have is that once, let's say, the technology column impediments are resolved, we just may realize that the real impediments to kind of broader adoption of autonomous uh, vehicles are a combination of regulatory and even cultural. Uh, do you agree with that? Do you feel like, are, are we making faster progress on the technology than we are on those other domains? Um, well, um, first of all, you're, you're absolutely right. And it is, uh, it is not a characteristic only of autonomous systems, but in, uh, in various other uh, technologies that we have um, tried to apply that have come out of Silicon Valley or other parts of the world that we've tried to apply in our uh, uh, corporate or personal lives, we've seen technology being ahead of, of regulation or, or culture. Um, but in the, in, in the book, uh, Transportation Transformation, I, I tend to talk about um, three areas that uh, where we need to be uh, working uh, consistently and, and on an ongoing basis. There's technology, obviously, because even if you look, as I was saying before, even if you look at uh, where we are with regards to the technology of autonomous systems, there is still a lot of problems to be solved before we can uh, comfortably start deploying them uh, in on a variety of use cases. The, the second area is, is that of trust. And, and you can, uh, your, your point of culture comes, uh, is woven into the area of trust, but uh, we've, we've done surveys and we've seen other uh, surveys where um, consumers in particular, where for you, you're thinking about passenger mobility, um, consumers think very seriously about uh, how much to trust this system and, and to, to what extent. And, and you, you see this trust being um, uh, being cultural. In other words, in, in certain cultures, you see uh, much higher trust, even in these early days of, of autonomous uh, vehicles than, um, than, in other, than in other cultures. So, so trust is something that we need to, to keep working on. And it's, uh, it will involve education. It will involve um, extensive trials. It will involve um, uh, you know, taking, uh, making certain investments in, in, in people and, and, as I said, in these use cases. The, the final uh, point is understanding deployments and, and determining where these systems will be deployed and, and how the uh, organizations that are involved in, in these deployments, whether it is corporations, cities, uh, smaller municipalities, um, they they need to be um, they need to, to understand uh, what uh, needs to be addressed and and address it uh, and address it properly. Um, so in some cases this may require um, a regulation um, and uh, in you know in some cases these issues that we talk about this uh, they will be regional. Uh, and in other cases, that will be global. 
technology, for example, uh, is uh, would be a global issue, right? And um, if we start looking into the uh, into into these three areas again consistently and and not in a siloed way. Um, I believe that, as, as I stated in the book, we will create a virtual cycle where the, the lessons that we're learning from the technology will be used to improve our trust in, in, the, in the use cases and the, the, they will impact the regulations that uh, we need to, uh, to create in order to, again, uh, take best advantage of the technology and, and create the, uh, the highest level of trust by the um, by the users of of, uh, of the technology, and if we can do that, uh, then I believe that we will be able to develop uh, uh, business models that will be uh, effective on a consistent basis. Because one of the concerns that that I've been talking about is uh, we spend so much time on on the technology aspect and, and making the technology uh, uh, become as, as good as possible, that we, uh, we tend to frequently ignore uh, under what business models we will be able to, uh, to make these businesses uh, effective, right, and attractive. Um, so we, we, we've been spending, as you know, tremendous amounts of money on, uh, on, autonomous, on autonomous systems. And we can see that we talk about the, the financial promise that they, uh, that they hold, but we still need to prove that um, this promise can be achieved. They talk about, or I should say you write about, the impact of new forms of mobility on urban life. Now, kind of building on that theme of uh, adoption being predicated on trust, my question is, who, who's gonna get to write the rules when it comes to what you can and can't do in an urban setting? Uh, is, it, is it the municipality? Is it the corporation? Is it an insurance company? How is this all going to come together, um, you know, at, at a point when, you know, let's say I can reliably commute to my office downtown, you know, through a, a robo taxi? Yeah. So um, I, I think rules will be uh, will be created by every constituency, not only the ones that you mentioned, but many more. I mean, because if you think, for example, of um, that this, or the fact that these vehicles will be most likely electric or electrified or um, zero emission vehicles, um, utilities will need to get involved. And if you are uh, moving uh, in a, uh, for a long distance using such a vehicle, you know, you talked about your commute, uh, it may be that um, uh, telcos will need to be, to be involved, you know, because these vehicles need to be constantly communicate with um, uh, their, their con some, some control um, mechanism, some con control organization, like most, most likely their, their fleet operators. Um, so I, I think that there will be uh, different, different uh, constituencies that are going to have to write rules. 
Now what, and that's why, by the way, uh, one of the of the major theses uh, of the of the book, of uh, the transportation transformation book, is that um, the we need to start looking at urban transportation as a system, not as a as a collection of silos, which is what we have today. I mean, today we have a um, you know, privately owned vehicles and transportation using such vehicles is one silo. Uh, public transportation is a second silo. Uh, mobi On-demand mobility services company, mobility services are a third silo. And, and by and large, um, at least until recently, uh, these silos have been operating independently. They're, they don't even, in many ways, they don't even acknowledge each other's existence. That cannot continue if we want, and, and it cannot continue not only because of the problems that we, we see our pre-pandemic uh, cities facing, but even as we start to introduce uh, autonomous vehicles in, in more use cases within an urban environment, uh, that, um, that siloed approach will, will uh, create uh, big problems. So um, all, of, all of these constituencies need to come together to, um, to start setting up the rules. Now, some of the rules, um, I think, will be codified, right, in, in, a, formal, in a formal sense. Uh, other rules will be the results of etiquette. Um, and and we've, we've done that over the years for even for the driving that, that we do, right? The, how you and I drive uh, our vehicles or how we ride our bikes or, or our um, uh, other, you know, uh, uh, our scooters or whatever other uh, we use, how, even how we walk. So um, I, I think that this will be... Um, th that's how we'll start creating and, and instituting uh, the rules. And uh, I think even some of the rules could, will be use, use case specific, whereas others will, will cover the entire urban uh, transportation spectrum. Van, well, so I'm going to make a public apology. I feel like uh, oftentimes I violate the rules of etiquette when I'm driving, but, uh, <laughs> but point well taken. One of the, one of the uh, questions that we often asked uh, when we think about when we are asked to evaluate autonomous systems, is uh, particularly when you think about um, autonomous vehicles that operate in an urban environment. Um, you, the question is, how will the vehicle be able to understand the the local idiosyncrasies? So, uh, the, the example that is often brought up is. Uh, Boston or driving in Boston is very different than driving in New York, is very different than driving in Singapore or in San Francisco. And um, how you embed this type of idiosyncrasies, and this is, I mean, by etiquette, uh, into a, a system that, a deterministic system that is supposed to, to operate uh, without the intelligence of a human, uh, what you hope to be the intelligence of a human, uh, is is something that uh, does occupy now uh, more and more of the technologists and, and the other uh, people who are involved in making uh, autonomous systems a reality. It's hard to have a conversation about AI without thinking about the data that is being fed to 
the models and the potential impact that biased data can have. Let me give you an example. Feel free to pick another one if it's more relevant. But uh, if I train an AI in a self-driving vehicle, um, let's say on you know how to yield to pedestrians in uh, at dusk or you know in, in in poor light, and let's say you know the vehicle gets trained to have poor accuracy when let's say uh, people of darker skin are crossing the street. Um, what are the what are the kinds of things that I can do uh, as a developer or uh, you know, even as a vendor to mitigate the potentially catastrophic impact of training AI models on biased data? The, the issue of uh, introducing biases to the intelligence systems that we build has been around as long as AI has been around, which is over 70 years now. And so it's not specific, first of all, it's not specific to autonomous systems, uh, that, that autonomous vehicles. It's more specific, though, to intelligent, to, in, to intelligent systems that, that, we want, that we have been building. I think in what, I'm, what my experience has, has taught me um, over the years uh, is that as I look into a problem and try to, to determine what type of intelligence system to build in order to start addressing part of that problem, I need to decide whether a strictly a knowledge-based or strictly a, a data-based approach will work. And my experience has taught me that there are very few uh, cases where a uh, these extreme approaches will work on their own. So, so typically, and, and this is why I'm not a big proponent of, I mean, we get a lot of entrepreneurs who come to through our doors uh, and, and they're telling us about how they're solving a particular problem by just using uh, some form of a neural network, whether it is a deep neural network or, or some other type of architecture. And, um, uh, what I tend to say to them is that, yeah, I, I agree that the, the, there is a, a class of problems that can be solved exclusively in this approach, but, but typically, uh, and in order to avoid uh, some of the problems that you mentioned, including biases, you need to, uh, to balance kind of like a, the knowledge-based approach with a, an embed certain world knowledge that you have into and domain knowledge uh, into the operations that um, you're, you can do through your through extracting uh, models from your data. Uh, so a long way of saying that uh, this is a this is a serious problem that is a that's characteristic of intelligent systems, but is not only a characteristic of autonomous mobility. Uh, and um, in order to to address it, you you really need to be thinking. Uh, upfront about your uh, the system that you're trying to build and how the intelligence, whether it is data-driven intelligence or ontological intelligence, you're, uh, is going to uh, to help you uh, address it. Um, so, uh, so that's uh, as I said. There's an entire literature, for example, uh, of uh, how to do sampling of data in order to avoid uh, this type of biases. Uh, if you're using a primarily a data-driven approach, um, 
but um, as I said, not not a simple not a simple problem. You're you're asking some very hard questions, and you're answering them uh, quite quite well. It seems like the conventional wisdom is that more more data is always better. In my experience, I found that the right data is always better when more data leads to kind of uh, call it you know polluted decision making like you said you know a deep neural net that's thirsty for a ton of data uh, it's not always the best answer if potentially you could take a sample of higher quality data and maybe use you know use a, you know a supervised machine learning approach is that consistent with uh, with what you've seen yeah, I mean, again, it goes back to what I said a couple of minutes ago, which is that you, you really need to understand the, the situation you're trying to address, the problem that you're trying to solve, and whether strictly a, a data-driven approach or, or some other hybrid approach will be the best way to, um, to approach to, to solve that, um, uh, that problem. Uh, and, and what, and if so, if it is going to be a data-driven approach, um, the you know what types of data uh, and, and what distributions of data you will need to to feed into your into your system. So I'll I'll give you an example again from autonomous vehicles. If I have very detailed data of uh, that allows me to drive around Palo Alto. In a, in a very accurate, very correct way, time after time. But I cannot, I have no other data about the rest of the, of the world. And now I'm, I take that system, this autonomous system and place it, let's say in, uh, in Boston. I can, I can guarantee you that that system will not perform, uh, if it is strictly data driven, it will not perform very well. Um, so in that case, just gathering more data about Palo Alto, uh, because you, you keep going around, is not going to make your, your system perform better in Boston. So in that case, more data will mean that I need to take um, uh, samples from, a, from the cities where I want to operate, and I want to train my, uh, my system. I want to, to make sure that my, my autonomous system can deal with with the situations described in that um, in the data that I collect, and now I, I may not need um, the data of the same detail in each one of these regions, right? Um, because maybe I want to operate in in, in specific parts of, of a city as opposed to operating in the entire city. But again, this is what I'm saying: you need to study the problem and determine where you need data and what, what is the type of data that you will need. But just because you're collecting more data uh, doesn't necessarily make you uh, make your system perform better. Yeah, now, unfortunately, we're, uh, we're about at our witching hour. I think we got through about a third of the topics we had uh, planned to discuss. But if you don't mind, I'm going to have to have you uh, back and we'll, we'll tackle some of the other meaty topics another time. Would that be all right? That would be great. Thank you again for the opportunity. It was Good. Wonderful. But before I let you go, I've got a, uh, one of my favorite questions. I always learn from this one. Share with that uh, with me first and with the audience second. What's your, uh, what's your advice for a younger version of Vanglos? Throughout my, um, my career, um, I, uh, I, I tried to, uh, to have a, a couple of uh, 
of guiding principles. The, the first is that um, I believe that in order, I believe that systems thinking uh, uh, typically has a lot of advantages. So I've tried to understand uh, a number of areas and, and try to always bring them together to solve problems, right? As opposed to uh, always being an expert in just one area. Um, so what I, what, what I advise younger people when I speak in, in universities in particular is to, to make sure, uh, particularly in, in earlier phases of their education, of, of getting, um, of being, becoming exposed to, to a few, to a few different, uh, a few different areas rather than going very, very deep in, in one. Um, the, the second thing is that I, uh, I've always believed that um, it, it's not necessary for, for somebody to have a single career. I mean, in, in, in my own experience, I'm currently in my third career, if you will, um, and and every every time I have continued learning, and and there there is a thread in how I went from a technologist and I doing solving deep engineering problems to now being an investor and advisor, and and the the entrepreneurship in between helped a lot. I think it made me a much better investor. Uh, the the uh, experience as a corporate executive made me a better entrepreneur. Uh, so so I think that people need to be ready for that, and as opposed to um, uh, insisting that their whatever is their productive work life has to be centered around a single a single area. Great advice. Well, uh, this has been so much fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to parts two and maybe three of this. So thanks again, Evangelos. Great discussion. Thank you very much. And that wraps up another episode of AI and the Future of Work. Again, your host, Dan Turchin, coming at you this week and uh, looking forward to bringing you another great episode next week. To learn more about Evangelos and his work, please visit synapsepartners.co, synapsepartners.co and tune in next week for another fascinating discussion.